1: At LuckyLandSlots.com, available to players in the U.S. excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18+ plus. terms and conditions apply.
2: The EFL very bad news. Hello and welcome to episode four of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy. And in the next 60 minutes, we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. While in addition to that, there have also been some off pitch activities that have caught our eye and they really have caught our eye this evening. And they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. I've once again switched the personnel this week. However, Carl is leading the line once again. So, Carl, how have you been since we last spoke?
0: Yeah, really good, Dan. Another good week of football and, as you say, some interesting events to get into today. So looking forward to this, mate.
2: Well, it's also time to hand out a first appearance of the season to our good friend, Matthew. And if you've heard him on the show before, you'll know that he's an ardent Fulham fan. So, Matthew, it's been a while, but I hope all is well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Everything's, Everything's going well. Glad to be on. I think this is the first time since one of... I think the last time I was on, I was trying to put Pep Guardiola in the bin. So, it's been a bit... So, obviously, I've been put in the punishment corner for such a stupid opinion because I haven't been on that in such a long time.
2: <laughs> oh, yes. I remember, I remember that uh, what, very sort of, uh, well, what can we say, diversive comment that certainly um, got Sharpie offside. So I don't know that much. But, yes, I don't think it was like you've li- not literally been punished because of that. I think it's just been circumstance. But it's an absolute pleasure to have you on board, and I hope you'll be uh, parting with some wisdom over the next 60 minutes. Before you do that, though, let's get some social media bits first out of the way. So, first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at Dan Tracy 1983 And, of course, also on the podcast account, which is at RealFootballPod. You can find me via iTunes by searching for RealFootballCast. And if you use that platform, then don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if, and if you also like it, please leave a review. That's if you love it. Don't just give it, like, one star because it's no good to me. I want five stars. I'm greedy. And, of course, if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can also find me on SoundCloud and Acast. While the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. As you should know by now, the Real Footballcast is sponsored by Loserpool. What is Loserpool, Here you ask? It's the company behind the game, Last Man Standing. One which is free to enter, and the prize pool once again stands at £1,000. Now, if this has grabbed your interest, then be sure to visit Loserpool.com and create an account. The odds of winning are great, but they're even better if you sign up. Right then, it's time to go live. Where should we go first? Let's focus on the off-pitch activities. And without a doubt, the biggest headline, not just, I guess, of the past few days, of the last few hours, really has been both Bury and Bolton, they're really up against the wall. As of 5pm, the deadline for a buy for both clubs has expired. So, Cole, this ultimately means it could be the end of their existence, which is a very, very bleak situation, especially when at one point it looked like they would both have saviours.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really sad, isn't it, Dan, today? And, you know... <clears throat> No matter what kind of rivalries or that you have in football or how you feel about opposition, I think we should all be kind of, everyone in football should be hanging their heads today, the situation that these two clubs are in. Um, and like, as you say, it looked like, you, you, can, you know, they'd kind of be a, you know, a final saviour for both sides, but it's looking very bleak. Um, you know, we've seen today the great effort that some volunteers have been putting in, and for Berry to try and get their ground ready for them. Um, and I, as you say, Dan, this, this is just real bleak situation, and one that should kind of really now kick off some, you know, concern amongst all supporters because you know it, it's Berry today, but who knows who it's going to be next next season, next week? Um, you know, and something's got to be done about this because you know we may not you know you may not follow berry you know i won't lie I, you know berry to me is not a team that i kind of even look out for or have paid any attention to over the years but these are names in football and clubs that we just don't want disappearing because it it's just wrong on all levels um and the way this has been this has happened leaves a real sour taste
2: well matthew you remember speaking to sharpie on the show before of course he was part of your last appearance in that sort of pep guardiola in the bin saga of course, you also know he's a Bolton fan. I mean, you cannot even begin to imagine the genuine torture that he and other fans will be going through at the moment. I mean, the fact that he might wake up tomorrow and not have a football team is something you cannot really comprehend, can you?
1: Yeah, it's something that, you know, everyone doesn't really want to put them... Uh, a situation no one wants to you know, put themselves in. But I suppose everyone has sort of had that thought in their head, you know, what happens, you know, what would happen if... my I'm sure many of you have had a... you know, if you couldn't support your team, who would you support? And this is a scenario that you know Sharpie and many Bolton fans and many Berry fans might be you know beyond the brink of having to make an actual decision we we normally do it as a laugh, but it's actually something that could that they could be dealing with very very soon. So it's a very scary situation. You know, obviously thoughts, prayers, everything goes out to them. And yeah, as I, I, I agree with what Carl said, there it could happen to any. It could happen to any one of us at any stage. You know, we're all privileged. Uh, to support teams that are, you know, are in the Premier League or have recently been in the Premier League, so financially we're pretty safe. But there are, you know, two clubs now. I know Oldham have got a couple of problems. I know there's going to be hundreds of clubs down the lower league that, again, though, could wake up tomorrow and be in the same situation. So it's not something you really want um, to. It doesn't really bear thinking about, but it's a real situation. So we have we have to talk about it.
2: And Carl, Sky Sports, you know, they love sensation and all that. They've been reporting around the clock across the sort the of weekend today and all that. You know, they've got a countdown ticker to five o'clock as if it's transfer deadline day. That's going to leave a real bit of taste in the mouth, not just the Bolton and Berry fans, but football fans in general.
0: Yeah, that's that's not good, is it, Dan? I mean, you don't want to see that. You know, as you say, they're they're almost trying to glamorise. The whole proceedings and almost, you know, as you say, turn it into some sort of glorified transfer deadline, um, and, and that's pretty sad. And to be honest, I, I, whoever came up with that idea um, when they sat round and said, you know what, we could do, you know, have a countdown clock as to, you know, when the club's about to die, because um, supporters all love that um, massive own goal. You know, as you say, th- this is not a situation to glorify. Um, you know, lots and lots of people should be hanging their heads in shame, and Sky tonight for that are one of those that should hang their head as well, because this is not something to glorify and almost try to treat as though it's some sort of special day that people want to see a countdown to a to to clubs disappearing or possibly disappearing into the wilderness. So that is a real that is a real shame to see that.
2: And Matthew, you know pointing fingers and placing blame at parties for deals not being completed or what have you, you know, it will offer some level of catharsis, but it's not going to get any form of positive results. So, that said, what role should the EFL be playing in all of this and how much does their fit and proper person's test have to come into scrutiny?
1: Well, that's that's the thing, you know, everyone talks about the fit and proper person's uh, test and, you know, how could this sort of happen. Does anyone actually know what the fit and proper person test is? That's something that needs to be, you know... Is it something that, you know, could have stopped this from happening? Or is it something that, you know, he no, he passed the fit and proper versus test? No, uh, the best analogy I can give is is a driving test. You know, whenever you take your driving test, you're always sort of very cautious. Um, it's always two hands on the wheel because you know you've got someone invigilating you. Could it be just the same thing where Steve Dale, you know, owner of Berry and whoever's owner of Bolton, I'm afraid, I don't know who is, again, just gave the right answers for the fit and proper person's test, and then, as everyone knows, when you pass a driving test, you don't exactly follow the, everything to the letter of the law. Everyone, you know, everyone's gone over the speed limit at some point. I'm sure we have. Everyone's driven with one hand on the steering wheel. I'm sure we all have. Um, they don't, you know, mirror mirror indicate whenever they overtake in the on the motorway, so so on, and so forth. I'm sure everyone gets where I'm going with that. So I don't know if it's a fit and proper person test, and again, even the EFL, I don't know if this is something that it's really their fault because surely it's it's the owners you know no one can really it, it, it does link back to the film person here, but if he gave all the right answers when he was uh go, when they were going through the test then it's not really the efl's fault because they would they were just basically lied to this is an owner's thing i don't know how much you can blame the efl for all of this you now how much governance can you really expect someone to have otherwise you know there's no individual clubs. We're all just sort of under one board, if you see what I'm going at. We don't want to have the EFL ruling over things. Everyone should be allowed to get on with business in their own separate way.
2: OK, so that's a good analogy, actually, and I'll use that as a question to Carl. So, Cole, let's take that analogy of a driving test where you pass once, and unless you sort of rack up loads of penalty points, you're told to retake the test. That's it for life. So... You know, Matthew sort of said that. Let's say Steve Dale; he's answered all the questions correctly and ticked loads of boxes. You've been given a football club. Should there be a process where owners are sort of maybe retested after two years to sort of then keep checking that funds are in place? Because you might have the funds at one point, but then another business that you own might hit the skids, and then you know you've got no money to then prop up a football club. So, is it retested that needs to be in place?
0: Yeah, I mean, first of all, Dan, obviously, just want to say to the hearts, constabulary, and DVLA, I always drive under the speed limit and always have both hands on the wheel, you know. Same with me. me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think you are right, you know, we've seen enough of this now, haven't we, where, you know, maybe there do need to be some changes made to the so-called fit and proper test um, and as we say again in football this magic word that you know maybe this sort of stuff should be a little bit more you know clear and you know open as such you know maybe everything should be transparent about what people actually have to do to pass this test um, and then like as you say maybe at some point there should be, be like almost an audit to kind of say right you know it, are you still in a, in a position where this club can run based on your finances and that because you know as we said as rightly said there if when this test came about he produced all the documents to say that the finances were there um, and he answered all the questions rightly and he could prove well actually yeah look you know this guy there's no reason why he shouldn't be able to run a football club um And then once that's gone, he's just gone hell for leather and everything's gone belly up. So maybe, as you say, maybe there should be something in place where there's an audit after maybe one or two years to kind of say, right, can we still check everything? Have you still got the finances in place to cover this, you know, X, Y and Z? Um, And then we might see a little bit more of this disappear. Um, but you would kind of think there's been enough, you know, enough of these owners come in now where it is quite clear that this fit and proper test doesn't seem to be doing the job it needs to in the long run. So they do need to go back to the drawing board on this, by the looks of it.
2: Carl, I'll stay with you. So let's take a look at Steve Dale. He buys Barry for a pound. I mean, we could all buy a football club for a pound, but you know, and that happens quite often. Football clubs go for a pound, but it's on the basis that. The assumption is that new owner then takes on a heavy burden of debt and then obviously he has to find the funds to at least make that debt serviceable, manageable and all that. So that's obviously something that Dale has not done. So therefore, how can someone be allowed to buy a club for a pound and pretty much just asset strip? You know, we sort of go back to governance and all that and he he pretty much has just thrown the wall over the EFL's eyes at this point, hasn't he?
0: Yeah, that's right. As you say, you know, buying it for a pound. As you say, me and you could go and buy a football club for a pound, um, but I, I'd have no chance of the upkeep and the, all the costs that come with that. You know, you're talking policing on match days. You know, staff, turnstiles, all those sorts of things. Um, and as you say. When someone goes in for a pound and then starts asset stripping, maybe putting the club up as some sort of collateral for, for other deals that that person's got going on in their business life, That is when, you know, you should be seeing someone step in and say, whoa, whoa, hold on, what is going on here, you know, and where are you going with this because this is not the right way to do it. Um, I mean, when as well, you know, the guy buys it for a pound and and what was it, he was looking for like 15 million or something at one point, wasn't he? You know, that is utter madness, isn't it? You know, and, and that is the kind of thing that when as a supporter you see that, you do kind of look at the authorities here and say, What are you guys doing in this situation? You know, because now it's like you're sitting on your hands and you need to come in at this point and say, listen, if you buy a club for a pound, you're not selling it for 15 million, that's for sure. Um, And yeah, it's just ridiculous all round. And like you say, it has just left a real sour taste. I tell you, everyone in those lower leagues, Dan, that EFL have got a lot of work to do to try and win those fans back over because I think this will turn, you know, we're kind of lucky, aren't we? We're in the Glamour League. We're in the big time. You know, we support clubs that, as we say, you'd like to think will never, ever be in this situation given the way they're run at the moment. But I'm telling you now, all those fans of clubs in those leagues below that, you know, can kind of see they're not that dissimilar from us, to be honest, they will be raging. and, And there is a lot of, questions that need some really good answers to and proof that this won't be allowed to happen going forward
2: because Matthew you know you never think the team's going to go to the wall I think the last example was 1991 and it was um, Maidstone I believe ruled a shot certainly like you know we're talking a generation ago there's too much money in football we say but are we now seeing the, the bubble finally burst outside the AFL? Could this be the start of a nightmare scenario where we lose, say, another half a dozen? Take Coventry for example. They're under that CSU ownership. They're playing in Birmingham. You know, I'm not saying that we're going to lose six clubs this season. But when you you say no, let's take a look at the high street, for example. And you always hear the phrase: "It's an institution. It's too big to fail. It's too big to go bankrupt." And then they do. Can we see football going that way as well?
1: I. Th- there is there is a possibility of it, uh, yeah, because there's because there because of the lack of money outside of the Premier League, and this is something I, we may be talking about later. I don't want to sort of preempt anything, but is it the, the you know you're too big to fail? But where does the money come from to to stop them failing? Is is the question? You now I've heard a lot of people. Say, um, now whether or not they've been serious or not, I'm not 100% sure. But the the general vibe has been why aren't Manchester City and Manchester United buying or not buying but you know, gifting money or doing something to help out Barry and Bolton because they're on their doorstep and so on and so forth? But that just gives a bad example, yeah, for absolutely. For all, for all this, it just, it just means that any club like Coventry can say, you know, anywhere, anywhere in any sort of region, we'll take Coventry for the example, you know, I can, you know, i can spend as much money as i want i can bankrupt this club the, so everything's going to be fine because aston villa nearest you know big money team will then just help us out because you know it's the right it's the right thing to do so we are in danger of it but mainly because there's no way there's no way of stopping there's no way no way of helping it should you know morally should these clubs be helping them out you can make the argument, yes, but they don't have to. It, and as I said about overall control, these clubs should be allowed to do things on their own. Uh, to, and touching on what uh, Carl was saying earlier in regards to Steve Steve Dale, and again, EFL getting involved. As long as he's not breaking the law, so long as everyone's being paid uh, minimum wage, so long as you know equality pay, men and women, all that sort of thing then there's not really anything that the EFL the can do. And this, again, this goes across, it goes across everyone. Uh, these clubs should be allowed to offer on their own.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a case of, you know, once you're in, the, the fit and proper person's test al- almost offers like a layer of protection to you, Cole, doesn't it? Because there is no checks, there is no auditing. So it's like, well, you know, you just fasten the door behind you and you can almost do what you want
0: yeah and and I think that's the thing that probably needs as you say, Dan we'll need to try and look at and the may maybe the authorities the will, will need to come up with a way that, as you say, maybe auditing can start taking place where you know every year, every two years, the club need to prove that they they they're running and that they can run and keep you know almost if you like the floodlights on as such because you know, let's that, face it. If Steve Dow produced the evidence to say that he had the money where he could run that club, then you know the EFL could say, "Well, you know, what what do we really do?" You know, the guy produced documents and you know bank you know details to prove he had the money there. Um, Unfortunately, as you say, once we stamped the paper to say you're in, the guy then just kind of reneged on everything and and didn't run it the way he should do. But if you, if you've got auditing taking place where every year that club have to prove they can still be running then you know the, the guy kind of knows well yeah i get in and if i do get in by fudging some stuff and and not telling the truth i'm still going to get found out in a year's time because i've got to again prove that i can keep this running um, and, and maybe that's the way it's going to have to go to make sure this happens um because you know you can guarantee it's it's Berry and bolton um, this week but This won't be the last club, I think, that that fall into this situation.
2: Matthew, if we sort of look at, I guess, how to fix things, not just for Bury and Bolton, but for teams that could find themselves in that situation in terms of of financing and day-to-day running, could there be a suggestion that we merge League One and League Two and go back to a regional League One North and League One South like we used to have back in the the 40s? Because when you think about Crawley going all the way up to Carlisle for a league game, it's pretty ludicrous, isn't it?
1: Yeah, but I yeah, I'm not. I, there, there, there has to be some solution, but regionalising. You've, you've only just sort of given uh, mentioned it to me now, but I just I don't see that because isn't one of the gr- you know great things about being a football fan is going to all these to all these different places that you'll never get a chance to go to.
2: Yeah. Yes. You
1: know, yeah. Apart regard- that, that, that isn't, like, you know, that isn't football related. Yes, it may help out Plymouth because they don't have to make they don't have to make a trip to Carlisle every year, but at the same time. Surely the fans are going to get bored if basically the only teams they're allowed to play are below are below Birmingham. So uh Plymouth can look forward to I'm not hundred percent sure what the league structures are in League One and League Two, but basically going instead of going to Carlisle and uh, Doncaster and well Bury and Bolton, bad example given <laughs> the situation. Blackburn and all those state teams in the north, it's basically Peterborough and Coventry and Crawley and all and Gillingham. You know, all over again. It's it's it just doesn't it just doesn't seem right to me. There is a solution somewhere. I saw someone floating the idea of you know there's too many professional football clubs. It's the 92. What if we chopped it down to I don't I can't remember what the number was. I think someone said I think someone said 72, um, basically to sustain 72 clubs. But there is a solution out there. But right off the top of my head, I don't know. I I honestly can't I honestly can't think of one.
2: That's all right. I don't want you to sort of fix the football league in one night. That's absolutely fine. However, Carl Matthew, just actually hit my next point. I'm going to sort of play devil's advocate a little bit. And I've heard before, I think, I can't remember where I was now, at some sort of football convention. And they referenced the fact that they feel that in five to 10 years, 92 league clubs is almost unsustainable. We're almost seeing it now. You also look at the fact that the National League, below it, is all but professional, really. I can't really think of a part-time team at that level. There might be a couple, but really, for all intents and purposes, that is like League 3 now, isn't it? There's so many professional teams in the English landscape. Can English football really sustain that many going forward? Yeah, you
0: find it hard to see where the money comes down to that, don't you, Dan? Um, And you do sort of think that, yeah, you know, maybe we will see a stage at some point where that, Um, you know, number kind of starts dropping off. You know, who knows as well? You know, I'm sure at some point some of these big super clubs are going to go off and do their own thing, um, to which then leads you to the question of, you know, whatever money we've got in the game that does trickle down to some of these um, lower league sides at the moment. If the rich super clubs all go off and form their own league, you can bet your bottom dollar that they won't set it up in a way where they have to start drip feeding and funding some of the grassroots um, level football because these guys are all kind of money mad obsessed people who, who want to keep the money for themselves and then you then would start to wonder how some of those clubs would even function um that way you know i go and watch cheson fc on a regular basis um, and i know now that you know that's a club that have to start getting other teams to use their home ground you know spurs women's team played there last season and those sort of clubs are relying on other people borrowing their home Home ground playing matches on their pitch you know the groundsman was telling me that you know he can only water the pitch so many times in a season because of the you know the limitations on what he has in terms of water and the cost it runs to to sprinkle that pitch so as you say you do see a point where the money can't keep helping all of those sides and and there won't be the money in the game so yeah i, I wouldn't be surprised if you know i don't know how long but Ninety-two will probably start dwindling down as the years go on.
2: Because I don't think it's helped by teams of the conference or the national league. You've got aspirations of hitting league football. Let's reel off a couple. I mean, AFC filed. Solihull moors Harrogate. They're all really sort of benefactor-based clubs. We've looked. We've seen it with Forest Green, Crawley, when they rose through the leagues back at the start of the decade. It only takes that person to lose interest and pull the plug and then they're going to be in a real hassle as well. So, you know, it's all sort of foundations of sand at the moment. And it, I guess, you know, you've got so many people looking at the football league as the promised land, but there's, there's not enough money to go around. And it's just, it's quite a scary concern. And also, Matthew, when you look at the fact that Bolton and Berry being where they are in a geography point of view, they're in the northwest. Is there no coincidence that due to the sheer concentration of clubs in that area... I guess there's not really enough fans to go round, especially when you look at the might of the, the tentacles of the Premier League, which will be sort of swooping over the North West. you reference the Manchester clubs, Liverpool? You know, the, the fandom can only stretch so far in that area.
1: Hold on, you just mentioned uh, how many clubs concentrated are in the North West. Are we then sort of in danger of repeating a Wimbledon situation? Because if you look at where they were, they were competing with the likes of QPR, Brentford, Fulham, Chelsea, you know, everywhere else in London. So... That then says, right, Bury, in order to survive, that means we've got to go to... Crikey, where it doesn't have football? There's only one team in Suffolk, uh, in Ipswich. Right, Bury, we're all moving to Lower Stoft. I don't know what my East Angular knowledge is, but you you get where, you get. where I'm going at. Um, and I just Matthew, want to touch on your
2: point... Matthew, what they could do, they could go to Bury St Edmunds. That would be quite a, a rogue move, wouldn't it? Because that is in Suffolk, I now, believe.
1: So. That's, a very, that's, a, that's a very good one. But just touching on your point in, you know... The football league being the promised land, and that's the thing. If Berry and Bolton do, um, I don't know what the exact punishment is going to be for them if they just cease to exist and start at the bottom, or if they get kicked down so many levels and they have to go to Conference uh, National League South or North rather for them. Sorry, um, what the punishment? But that that means there's going to be effectively two football leagues places up for grabs, and there are going to every single team in the in the National League. Will gladly take that spot because they'll say, right, hang on, we're in the football league. That means we get money from uh, Quest uh, from for the highlights. We may get the occasional game on the Sky, so that's money there. And we'll be in the League Cup, which means we've got every we've got an even better chance of drawing Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea in one of the cup competitions, which means an extra payday for us. So I don't think it's. So, as much as it's going to be sad for Berry and Bolton if they do have to drop out of the football league, there are going to be clubs that will break your arm off to be given the opportunity to be in the place, not financially, but in the league position that Berry and Bolton are in now.
2: Also, if they do go out of the league, there'll be League Two clubs almost rubbing their hands with glee because if they drop out, there'd be no relegation from League Two. This season to so them sort of rebalance things next season. So all those sort of teams in the bottom six of League Two, they'll have a free hit and they'll just think, OK, well, you know, we could lose 10-0 every week and not get relegated. So they'll have a real vested interest in it also. Talking about the league, though, Cole, I mean, Bury have what had, sorry, they've had, what, five games per se already. It looks like a six on Saturday, even from a sort of league integrity point of view an ultimate decision really has to be made soon. You know, it might not be a popular one. It might be the one that nobody wants, but for this sort of competition to sort of restore any integrity, because it's really taking a kick in at the moment, something's going to have to give at some point. Yeah,
0: definitely. I mean, you know, it would be interesting to know what the backup plan or what the plan here from the EFL is um, should Barry not be able to continue. Because, as you say, the chaos probably that that is actually caused to a few teams right now. And, like, well, hold on, what happens here? Do we get the points for this game? You know, are they deducted points? You know, where do we stand? What happens to all those teams who, who you know, possibly should be playing them in the future? Um, so, yeah, as you say, Dan, you can't keep it going on forever, can you? You know, you can't start rolling this in. To 12, 13, 14 weeks into the season, where then you, you're looking at a fixture pile-up for some teams going later on in the season. Um, and as you say quite rightly, you know, as, as as horrible as this will be, I do think there has to be a definite deadline where it's like, no, I'm sorry, you know, we'd love it, we you know we'd love to be able to wait till there is a situation that solves this. But for the league's sake, we do, do need to put a definite deadline on this, and at that point. We will have to be harsh and we will have to call it and then decide what is happening with those teams who should have played them um, and how it works out for the rest of the league. So, as you say, it is a shame, but you know, they, the league will need to put a deadline stamp on this and get it resolved and clear it up once and for all.
1: Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The EFL have done that. As much as people have, you know, been saying f the EFL for the way they've handled it, at least give them credit in they have allowed this thing to go on. They, uh, because the initial Barry deadline was last Friday, but again, even that was kept being pushed back, kept being pushed back. At least give them some credit that they have, you know, given Barry and to an extent Bolton some breathing space to allow this to happen. They didn't say, right, no, we. Cutting it, we're well, cutting it now. They have been lenient to some to some extent over it. At least, they some sort credit.
0: Yeah, that that is right because you know they, they could have turned around and just said, couldn't they after week one? Well, that's it. If, you know, if you're not going to fulfil fixtures, we'll end it there, and you don't get." So, as you say, they they have given these clubs enough time, and I'm sure they've probably tried to help them out as much as they possibly can. Um, and and it is just unfortunate that. They will have to cut that deadline and say no, sorry. You know we've we've given it some time, but we have to think of all the other clubs in you know the division, um, and we've got to resolve this now and, and and tell them where they stand with how this season's going to pan out.
2: Although Matthew, it does seem like a story is unfolding by the hour. I mean, in the, in the two hours since the deadline was not met, it now turns out three bids have been received from Berry or for Berry. So the question is, you know, will Steve Dale accept him? Will the EFL accept him? How much more time can the shakers be given to finally get their house in order?
1: Well, again, that sort of touches on what we were what we were just talking about. You know, if C Dale has you know, accepted the bid, there's obviously some sort of process. I do not know what the process is, but there's got to be paperwork and everything submitted. I'm sure that whoever the new owners is we'll have to go through a fair, proper person's test. How long that takes? Does it take a week? Does it, t- is it, can you do it over a Skype call? I don't know. Um, that's all going to be sorted. That's all going to be sorted out. Um, so yeah. And again, the EFL, so long as there's some, you know, give and take in this as, as the EFL have done, then I suppose everything's fine. But there does have to be a, uh, there does have to be a cut point at some stage, because I'm as confused as anyone else is in, in what happens with the fixtures. Like, the games that have already happened, for for Bolton for instance, do those results still stand? Does everything just get wiped off and all the games that are coming up? Does again does everyone just get awarded three points or does everything get taken out to nil? I'm you know, as much as I don't want this to happen, I want everything to all come about and be hunky dory, there is part of me that's slightly fascinating to know how League One is gonna play out, when when and if this thing all comes to an end should you know, should the horror of horrors happen. Okay. I, that, sound, that sounds incredibly selfish of me, I know. But there's just a little bit in the back of my mind that says, I don't know what's going to happen here, but part of me wants to find out. And I know that sounds bad.
2: No, that's a very fair uh, question. I think I can answer it. So from my understanding, obviously we've got 24 teams in the league as things stand. Berry haven't played a game yet, so if they were to, you know, hit the wall and be no more, it would be a 23-team league. The Bolton question obviously confuses matters even further because they've actually played games. And it's like, what do you do with Bolton? Because it's early in the season, it's easier to expunge their record. So any results that you would have got points against Bolton would be... Eventually, everyone would play a 42-game season. If it was as it was last season, when Bolton didn't play that last game of the season and it sort of meant very little, had no real effect on league places, you would have just warred... You know, you hand out 3 0 wins sort of where needed, but because it's still so sort of early, and it's not had a sort of bearing on everyone, and Bolton have not played at least some, a team once or what have you, it's just easier to sort of just strip that record away. So again, that creates its own problems because a team might, you know, let's say we get to the end of the season, a team misses out on promotion by a point because it's the point they've got against Bolton or something. Do you know what I mean? And it's that sort of murky waters. It's an absolute mess, really, Really, and it's, you know, that's... The goal difference will be the one there, won't it? Dan? Yeah, absolutely. Because
0: Bolton have been conceding, you know, by playing, but the fact that Bolton have been playing a team of basically school kids, um, you know, they've been getting some real tonkins, and even to the point where they the scoreboard off in the stadium because, you know, apparently like it's safeguarding issues that they don't want those those young players to kind of keep seeing the score going up and up um, in games they're playing. So if you say, if you've just given Bolton a real good hiding and then get told, well, actually you're awarded just a 2-0 win when you scored four or five, you're going to go, well, hold on, those four goals could come in really handy at the end of the season if we, you know, the league goes down to goal difference. So, yeah, it could be a real mess, couldn't it, sorting that out?
2: Yeah, and also, you know, let's say if Bolton do survive, it would take the greatest of great escapes for them to stay up that season. You know, they're already on minus points. They've got a f- the most threadbare of squads. So, survival almost season them bracing themselves for League 2. That stadium they've got becomes even more of a millstone around their neck. It almost could be like the Darlington Arena. Do you remember when they built a 25,000-seat stadium and it went... You know, it was mothballed for years. I think it's still used now under the, the Phoenix club. So, I mean, what did Bolton do with that, Cole?
0: I I know they um, they shut the upper tiers, didn't they? At um, The last game they just played, you know, just closed all the upper tiers so that no one could go up there. And as you say, you know, that, that you've suddenly got a stadium that needs paying for and, and running costs, um, you know. We know, you know, we going back a couple of years, but you know, people were saying the writing was on the wall because you know when Big Sam was there, he put in a lot of this scientific training equipment at, at the Bolton training ground, like you know cryogenic chambers and stuff like that, because he was, you know, Sam was into that sort of methodology and training, um, and that that club has got all that sort of equipment in their training ground that. They can't run all that anymore because they can't afford to run it. Um, And as you say, that is just part of it, isn't it? You know, you've got this big, massive stadium that needs, has got running costs um, surrounding it. Um, And there's all those little things that you think, well, what, what do you do with that at some point? You know, how do they keep affording to run that? So lots of headaches there that we just need to hope someone can come in and put the money on the table and show that they can run these clubs and hopefully try to help them get their house back in order. Um, you, you you get the impression, they say, with Bolton, if they manage to survive, they're going down no matter what happens. You know, I think they are in minus 11 points at the moment, aren't they? So you can't see them with that squad managing to even recover that enough to then go and put a season on where they stay out of trouble. Um, so, yeah, you know, all those sorts of issues. And they're things that we, you know, Fans, some fans don't even think of when you consider these clubs in trouble, you know. But those are, you know, weights around those clubs' necks, definitely.
2: I guess the final subject on this matter, Matthew. You sort of touched on it a little bit earlier about where the clubs go if they do drop out. If they were to drop out this season, could you see the EFL allowing them back in at League Two, or is it? Are we sort of talking phoenix clubs? What do you think the line of the land would be in a post-Berry and Bolton era
1: as things stand? Well, this is where I, I honestly don't know what the situation is and, so, and what and what the options are. If it's an EFL matter, then again, I could see him being kicked out of the league and maybe having to start, uh, maybe start in the National League. However, it, do they just say, right, expand Because that's the whole thing, isn't it? If they go into liquidation and basically they can't, they just can't uh, fund themselves Point blank, that's when they just cease to be a football club. Yes, that's I right. suppose if they continue, if they continue to be a football club, you know, because they still have a, a you no know, a ground and and a bunch of players, so they will still play. And it's just then just a case of how many leagues they decide to be pushed down, um, and that's where. Uh, that 's where my knowledge of the matter you know, somewhat ends. is it just out the football league so that makes them to the con- uh, to the national league, or does this then become an f a matter where they step in and say no the penalty for you know uh, going into liquidation and not into liquidation but failing to be a club is a five tier demotion, regardless of its situation stating the law that was placed in in one thousand nine hundred and eighty two or whatever is that 's where that 's where I honestly don 't know where. The Difference is if it's again if they go out of business, then they go out of business. But if they're still there, if they're still a thing, they can still operate as a football club. But what tier they have to start in, that's something we'll, we'll just have Ho- again. Hopefully, we don't have to find that out, but we will find that out. You know, we could find that out in, in due course.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess once you drop out the, the airfield, then the National League have to decide their own decision. You know, just because you've dropped out of the airfield doesn't automatically mean you go back in and. The National League sort of at the top level, they might go, actually, no, if you want to be part of our governance, you need to be in the National League North. Or they might just say, actually, no, you know, you need to get your house in order even further. You might be in the, the Northern Premier League or something. So I guess it's uncharted territory because we just don't know, do we? Like I said, we've not had this situation in nearly 30 years. And I think at that point, the clubs, you know, they weren't dropping down leagues, they were just finished. And then again, they sort of just phoenixed their way back up. There. I know shot had a league football, you know, Say 10 years ago, Maidstone have never returned to the, the division, so it's really bleak, isn't it? You know, and I think, you know, even by the time you listen to this, it might be more developments later in the week. So I think we can all just keep everything crossed. And I think just football fans will be uh, hoping and wishing that there is a good news story at the end of it, right? That is it's, well, I say half time, it's more than half time because we've gone so deep, but that's not a problem at all because it's a subject it's really worth talking about. On the other side of this hiatus we'll be back and we're going to talk a bit of football actually so don't go anywhere
1: your accumulator letting you down again you've cashed out early and you just can't win prehistoric football coupons nah have a think about it why not play a new way at loser Pick a loser and win a £1,000 in a last-man-standing tournament. Be a loser and win at Loserpool. Enter for free now.
2: Visit Loserpool.com. Okay, welcome back. I hope you're still there. And now it's time to talk about matters on the pitch. So we're not going to get through all the Premier League action. It's just not going to happen. So apologies if your team doesn't get mentioned this week, but I'm sure you'll understand. However... We're going to go to the Championship because Matthew's on board. So obviously, you know, we've not spoken since the actual relegation in terms of it actually being confirmed. I know it's sort of in process, but now you're a Championship team. What's been your assessment of the early season? And are you confident that Scott Parker can get you back up at the first time of asking him?
1: Um, I'm more confident than I was when he first took the job. I'll be pretty honest. And even when we had that bit of a, we had a bit of a stretch in sort of late March, early April, where we won three games on the bounce and three clean sheets. Even then it's still, it was a little, I was still a little bit up in the air about it, but uh, and then, obviously, the first game of the season against Barnsley, you're thinking, "Oh Christ, what have we got ourselves in for here?" Much in the same way when we went down again, uh, when we went down in 2014, we started against Ipswich and we were two 0 down. Uh, we went two 0 down there, and it was, "Oh cr- oh, we, we've got to deal with this for a whole season now." So it's a bit of a wake up call. But things have started slowly, started to get better. Um, we've somewhat sorted the defence out. Obviously, we've got arguably one of the best. Front threes in the championship, whether or not that's actually going to produce anything, it has so far. But whether or not it's going to be worth anything come the end of the year, we're going to find, uh, we'll have to find out. And then we just got sort of brought back down to earth again uh, against Nottingham Forest on the weekend, but hold my hands up I, I cover Nottingham Forrester for some of the stuff I do with work and I knew that they were going to be a good team and they just proved you no know, right right you know, right before my eyes just how good a team in the championship they are and they may not be many people's or sort of favorites or sexy picks for doing anything this year but I think Nottingham Forest are going to be doing very well this year so no shame in losing to them but it's just going to take a little bit more adjusting to get yeah, uh, a little bit more adjusting to get used to things in the championship because it is a far different. They talk about the golf between the championship and the Premier League, but until you've experienced it, my word, it is a bit, of, it is a bit of a shock to the system.
2: Right, that's the end of our championship segment. Thank you, for, thank you for that, Matthew. Let's focus on the Premier League. Now, if there's been upsetting scenes off the pitch, there's certainly been some upsets on it. And Carl, it's fair to say there were a couple on this weekend. Now, I doubt you'll want to talk about Spurs, so I'll leave that to Matthew in a minute. But where on earth
0: did that Crystal Palace win come from? Yeah, I think, as you say, Dan, this weekend, you know, a few accumulators just went out the window nice and yeah, early, didn't yeah. they? I know mine did. Um, mine was a banker there thinking United would would see them off at home. Um, And again, as you say, even watching that game, you know, I think at one point in the first half, you know, just before Palace scored... United had something like 80-something percent possession during the game. And, and you're sitting there thinking, it's just a matter of time. And then all of a sudden, you know, Palace go up the other end. They tuck one away nicely. <coughs> um, I don't know if anyone saw I'm not sure whether IU forgot who he was playing for because he seemed to run away with the hands crossed like a hammer's signal. So I don't know <laughs> if he forgot that he was playing for Crystal Palace now. Um, yeah, no. So that, that was quite interesting. Um, but yeah, you know, United just a day again of missed chances, you know, didn't take, you know, they had some really good opportunities, didn't take them again, another missed penalty, you know, this time Rashford again, you know, with all the big hoo-ha about the penalty at Wolves, they get another one, Rashford steps up and this time cracks the inside of the post and it goes out for a goal kick. And I guess, you know, just one of them days where it wasn't going to go from and then Palace go and sneak it. Um, and I don't think David De Gea will be kind of wanting to watch reruns of that last goal because you you wouldn't expect a goalkeeper of his quality to be beaten from there. Um, and United just undone with two sucker punches. But, you know, it's, it's OK because Ollie's at the will.
2: I mean, Matthew, all that talk about penalties, of law really, isn't it? Another penalty. Marcus Rashford steps up. There was no sort of hoo-ha as to who was going to take it. But with his Previous form, we would have almost put your house on that one. Then again, it just shows that penalties, no matter who you pick, it really is a lottery. Yeah, it is. I don't
1: know why. Is this really a big a big deal? I don't know what I don't know what the fuss is about. Would this have been t- is it just because it's Manchester United? I mean, we we, we had a bit of a stretch back in twenty sixteen, seventeen where we missed I think it was ten penalties in a row through various different players. And no one no one mentioned that. I don't think this is this is a whole lot of this is a whole lot of nonsense in my view. And I think part of it's only really because Paul Pog on Monday night against Wolf, he had his penalty saved. It wasn't missed. It was a penalty saved. It's just, it's just absolute nonsense to me. I don't, I, don't get, I don't get why this is a story.
2: I think because it's Paul Pogba, it just magnifies everything, doesn't it? He just can't do wrong for doing right, really. I mean, I think, you know, I think the vernacular of missing a penalty is just not scoring a penalty. But then you've got to give credit to the goalkeeper for actually saving a penalty. It's, just, it's a lottery, really, isn't it? I mean, it's an easy stick to beat Oli with because had you had a recognised taker... At the same time, that's no guarantee of a goal either, is it? So, it's just rotten luck from the 12 yards. And also, rotten form, I guess, in that spell against Crystal Palace, Carl, for David De Gea. Because when United equalised, it looked like if there was going to be a winner, it would be United. However, Patrick van Arnholt had other ideas. And David De Gea will certainly have a few fingers being pointed at him after such a late howler.
0: Yeah, definitely. As I say, for such a top gas goalkeeper, you know he would have expected near post and, you know, although it was hit reasonably well, you expect a goalkeeper at that level to keep it out. And as you say, once, once they score, um, you are just now thinking, well, if there's enough time on the clock, United are just going to steam forward and try to, you know, throw everything here. And you certainly didn't see them, um, you know, conceding again. And, and the manner of the goal is really disappointing because, like as you say, you know, David, you know, De Gea conceded a few soft ones towards the end of last season and he started getting his form question and and that kind of goal, conceding that sort of goal just doesn't help and starts raising those questions again. So he'll want to get that one out of his system pretty quickly.
2: Right. We need to pay the bills, actually. And let's play loser pool. Guaranteed banker losers this week. So I hope you've got the Premiership fixtures in front of you. Is, is it called the Premiership? No, Premier League. I've gone back to about 2000 there. So, Matthew... I'll give you um, the first pick as you're our guest. So can you give me who you think is a guaranteed loser in the Premier League this
1: weekend? Um, I'm tip... up. Oh. I was going to say I was going to give you the winner, but I can, can wait this round. Um, basically, because I want to be to keep coming back on this show, and because I know who you support, I'm going to say that my guaranteed loser this week is Arsenal. I don't. The uh, North London derby hasn't quite gone in their favour in recent years, and I think it's going to stay. I think it's going to stay that way. So I predict Arsenal will lose to Tottenham Hotspur this Sunday.
2: Blimey, that is a bold prediction. I like, I like that. Do you like that one, Carl? Don't you? <laughs>
0: Uh, I'll tell you here, you've got more faith than most Spurs Yeah, absolutely,
2: It's fucking I'm stunned by that To be it's honest I can't, that, It's almost speechless Which is no good for a podcast, is it? It'll be dead air for the next five minutes But uh, Cole um, you,
0: you've, you've certainly not listened to Paul Merson then oh,
2: actually, Well yeah, I saw that he's, what he thinks What was it, 4-1 win for Arsenal I mean, Jesus. On
0: the debate, yeah, oh, yeah A 4-1 mauling, he said yeah. Idiot. Idiot. I'm not quite sure where he gets that from
2: No, no, not at all So Cole who do you think is going to be a guaranteed loser in the Premier League this week?
0: I'll go for Sheffield United, Dan. They're away at Chelsea. Um, I think Chelsea picking up their first win this weekend at Norwich, a hard-fought game. And I can just see, you know, Tammy Abraham, confidence, you know. They're playing well and I can see them just making a nice home home parade of this game. And although I think it'd be tight, I just think they're led out Sheffield United.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good pick. And I'm going to go for Brighton to lose away at Manchester City. So, I think whoever faced Man City the week after the VAR was always going to be in for a pumping. And Bournemouth really suffered, didn't they, at the vitality. I think Brighton have looked better under Graham Potter. You know, of course, it's only, what, three weeks in. They are playing better football. It's a bit more easy on the eye. But going to the Etihad. I mean, I know Palace shocked them last season. But I think... You know, we all know really the outcome of this one so I think that's why I'm going to go for Manchester City to win that one. So I'll just recap It's uh, Matthew's gone for Arsenal to lose at home to Tottenham Jesus, <laughs> I still can't go over that one Carl's um, gone for Sheffield United to lose away at Chelsea and I've gone for Brighton to lose away at Manchester City so if you like the sound of those picks and more importantly you want to play the game yourself go to loserpool.com, create an account you can still enter this pool up until um, the week after the international break you, just because you've missed out weeks 1-3 to three. doesn't mean you miss out on the chance of winning the money so you could sneak in and get a result. That's absolutely fine. Get involved and sign up. So, right, we've got about 10 minutes left, so I'm going to do my absolute best to chat a bit more about the Premier League, a little bit of a whistle-stop tour. So we'll do as much as we can. I don't think we'll do much, but anyway, let's crack on. So, Matthew, the other shock was Tottenham, just 24 hours later, losing to Newcastle. So, obviously, that was a real insipid performance. What did you make of that? And also, what have you made of Tottenham starts to the season already? And can you put finger on the
1: lack of spark at the moment. Um, well the lack of spark, isn't it don't Spurs usually not get off to a good start in August because Harry Kane doesn't get off to a good start in August? Isn't this meant to be the the mystique that surrounds the club? Isn't it? can't we just put it simply down to that and not Yeah if I want if if you want to be if I want to be brutally honest, I think it's because you've made too many signings. Ooh. All this thing well, all this time, you know, they say you know it takes players time to to gel and get things into a system. Maybe Pochettino was onto something, not signing anyone for two two windows, three windows. I forget, I forget how many it was. Um, so now two windows, thank you. Um, so now he's got this. Now he's actually got to bed in some new players, and it's just taking it's taking some time for these things to bid in. So I think Daniel Levy has really. Um, uh, stuffed him on this one by actually giving him some funds this year. That's my that's my uh, conspiracy theory for you right there. Other than that, I just think maybe it's a new manager bounce for Newcastle. It took a while for it to kick in, but it just it just kicked in. That's all I'm going to say.
2: Now, Matthew's conspiracy theory is obviously so out there that it's turned off my recording. It turns out I've actually lost the last eight minutes of the show. Is that the end of the world? Not really. I mean, we've got forty great minutes in the can about Bolton and Berry and I think that deserves more, if not all, our attention. Therefore, obviously, there's a little bit of Premier League chat. Do we really need to worry about who beat who this weekend? Probably not. In the grand scheme of things, it's not that important. We've got teams going to the wall. So although it's a bit annoying that I've lost that audio, it may be it works out quite well. You know, maybe it's actually quite fitting that that's where we are this week. So I'm going to wrap things up here. Obviously, there's all these other results um, that have taken place in the weekend. Let's just go through very, very quickly then. Watford, they've got a real FA Cup hangover. They need to find the aspirin, otherwise they're going to have headaches that are going to continue and it might cost Javi Gratia his head, which is on the chopping block. Frank Lampard's Chelsea have got a first win. Tammy Abraham's got his first goal for Chelsea. I think that will now see his confidence get larger and larger. and I think he'll be a real asset to Chelsea going forward. So, Hanson got their first win and Doné, really nasty red card for Brighton. Leicester, they also got a first win. They got the better of Sheffield United. It's almost written in the stars that Jamie Vardy's going to score as a Sheffield United Enemy, because obviously he's a Sheffield Wednesday fan. Aston Villa, they're off the mark as well. they got the better of Everton. Everton should have perhaps equalised in the second half. Wasted chances. Villa then made it 2-0, job done. While Wolves, they uh, also drew at the weekends. They are now three points from nine, three draws in a row. Are they already struggling with Europa League qualifiers? We'll have to wait and see. I mean, if they get the better of Torino, they're going to have to then struggle with the group. But that's the the lie of the land. That's what they wanted, so they're going to have to deal with it. Obviously, I'll thank my guests, of course, Carl and Matthew, sterling effort. I'm sorry you couldn't sort of close it off properly, but obviously your is in the bin, so don't worry about that too much. If you like the show, please review it, five stars. If you don't like it, then just don't worry about it. But I hope you do like it, otherwise you wouldn't have got this far Listen to it. I really hope you like today's episode. I think I'm quite proud of what we've done as an episode. You know, we talk about the Premier League so much on this show, I'm guilty of it. But to do something different and a sort of real... Topic, which is close to everyone's heart, I think should resonate with more people. So if you do like it, please let me know. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast in association with Loser Paul. And until next time, goodbye. Network.
1: Plus.